The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the weekend preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, sponsored by Bet365. I'm Dan Bardell and today my co-host George Ellick and I will preview the best of the weekend's FA Cup and Premier League action alongside Bet365 beleaguered Steve Freeth. Oh. Steve, you are upset. You didn't want to talk about it on air, but I can't resist Steve Bruce, West Brom. Listen, I I think a lot of people will point to his CV (laughs) and his record in the championship, which is fair enough. You know, he has got an excellent CV at this level. I'm just concerned about the way he's he's less clubs in the past. I'm I'm probably a little bit concerned about how up to date he is. The game seems to have moved on in recent times as well. You could argue, well, where else would they go at this stage of the season? I think there's a a massive relief from Albion fans that, that Ishmael has gone. It clearly didn't work. It clearly wasn't working in the dressing room either. Very rigid in what he did. And uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure it'll work out for him somewhere else, but it didn't work here. Fingers crossed it works out for Steve Bruce. It wouldn't have been an appointment that I would have made personally, but you know, I'm sure Albion fans will get behind him. Yeah, I'm sure they will. They definitely will to begin with, and I believe he'll probably get a bounce in the first few games because that's what he does when he first rocks up somewhere. George, before we come on to what you're up to tonight, no show last week. Steve wouldn't let us do a show. He did make it up to me by <laughs> getting me a gig on Monday, but he, not good for you. Nothing for me, yeah. It's baked beans on toast for me all week after missing out on last week's show and not getting the uh, I the know that's gig, incorrect, so. George. I know <laughs> that's not right. The amount of work you're getting... Uh, yeah, just just delighted. I mean, it did hurt when I saw the photo of you guys sitting next to each other, grins in your face. Um, you know, I thought we were a team, but um, next time, next time, maybe Steve will ask me if he can afford me. Yeah, probably <laughs> not, George. Can, probably not. Yeah, it may have been for, may have been financial. I believe I'm, I'm led to believe financial implications <laughs> led to you not being there. But on the plus, you have got a new show tonight on Sky, George. So you're not doing too badly. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, Steve's very kindly given me the um, the chance to to plug it, even though it's not Bet365 sponsors. So that's kind of him. Um, you but should it's, see his face now. He's not happy. It's, uh, yeah, it's a one-off. It is, uh, yeah, it's EFL 21 under 21. Uh, myself and Ali Maxwell. No no presenter. It's just the two of us. Ooh, um, wow, having to, so when we recorded it, we had to do the old... And welcome back to EFL 21 under 21, which was oh. um, interesting. But it's, uh, yeah, going out tonight, just going through some of the talent, you know, we, we've seen... In the last few years, well, in the last kind of decade, you know, going back to John Stones and Harry Maguire, you've got Jude Bellingham, Ollie Watkins, James Madison, Barry Eze, some of the best talent in European football basically comes through the EFL. And so we thought it was about time we shined a light, shone a light on that, I should say. And Sky very kindly supported us. So we're going through those 21 players, going through each one with a bit of analysis and what they're all about. And uh, this time in a year, we'll look back and see how they've got on. Hopefully none of them are out on loan in the National League, but we'll see. Good. I'll get that on my on my Sky Plus. Get that get Thank that recorded, you. George. Give you some support. I look forward to Cheers. watching that and, and hopefully learning something as well. Because to be fair, I could do with getting my EFL knowledge up and notch. Oh, I'll you... get him the Villa fan. I'll get him. <laughs> did you uh, yeah. did you go to a game when you said last Saturday what am I going to do? There's no match, and I said go to an non-league game or an EFL game. No. I didn't do that. You know, I can't even remember what I did. Memory's terrible. I, I went to watch Chase Chase Day win another game, so that was good. Who's your local team? Reading. Yeah, you don't want to go there. They're they're a a mess. Before we get into the first game of the weekend, remember you can sign up to The Athletic and save 33% on access to the best newsroom in sport. That's just £3.33 a month for an entire year. To take advantage of that offer, just go to theathletic.com slash football pod. 
Game one that we're going to look at is FA Cup, of course, Friday night, Middlesbrough against Manchester United. Donny van der Beek isn't at Manchester United anymore. He might actually get some football, George. Yeah, he might do. I mean, the, the van der Beek story and all the talk about him, I, I can't re- really remember there being so much conversation about someone who's played so little football. And I guess that's part of why people like to talk about van der Beek. You know, he came to Manchester United with a big reputation as part of that Ajax side that um, disrupted the Champions League that were, were, were dominant in their own domestic league with uh, a host of players who, you know, when you look at the where those players have gone since, um, not many have actually performed at the level we probably expected when they left. You know, Ziyech has been a bit part player at Chelsea. Um, Frankie de Jong has been okay at Barcelona. Um, de Ligt has, has been all right. I mean, none of them have really kicked on massively, but van der Beek has to be the biggest disappointment of the lot. Um, and quite often when things aren't going particularly well at any sports team, it's the absent players who seem to be the beneficiaries. And that was obviously the case with Donny van der Beek because Manchester United have had a pretty poor 18 months. Van der Beek was the, the big name signing that barely played. And therefore, a lot of Manchester United fans seem to think playing van der Beek would be an answer for their problems. But from what I saw, when he played, he was he was consistently poor. You know, he, he never really made a massive impact. Um, he has an opportunity at Everton to show what he can do. I am maybe in the minority and I don't want to upset Everton fans, but I, I find the decision-making at that football club totally baffling over the last month or so um, to go with at a manager. we don't know who Lampard. makes the decisions. That doesn't help. I know. I mean, of course not. And, and I can completely understand why um, Everton fans weren't too happy with the the link to, to Vitor Pereira. But to demand the arrival of Frank Lampard, someone who... You know, in, in fairness to him, I think we have to accept that managers. We have to remember that managers learn. Like managers get better, and he's only had two or two and a half full seasons of management, and then they've gone and got two players in Donny Van der Beek and Deli Ali, who've shown no sign of form for the last two and a half years. It, you're basically reaching, and you're asking for for these guys to to step up when there's been no evidence of them being able to do so. Um, so mm. I know this is a Manchester United preview, but on the on the Van der Beek signing, um, I hope that he does well. I'd love Deli Ali to return to form because when he was at his best a few years ago, and he's another you know EFL grad, um, he was just amazing to watch and such a key part of that Spurs team under Pochettino that got to the Champions League final. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd be surprised if we're suddenly seeing a, a rampant Van der Beek and Deli Ali playing under, under lamps for the rest of the season. Yeah, if you do want to hear more about Everton, we did do a podcast on this feed earlier on in the week with the Everton guys, just looking at what's gone on there the last month or so. So do go back and check that out on the Athletic Football Podcast feed. Now, Steve, Jesse Lingard has remained mm. at Manchester United. Probably will actually get a game on Friday night. Because Manchester United have streamlined their squad for various reasons, he, he will probably actually get some football now, Lingard. I, I wouldn't actually bet against him being at Manchester United next season now. Uh, I... I'd quite like to see him get some more minutes, uh, to be honest with you. I think you. he has to now. Yeah, I feel a little bit sorry for him, really, with the, you know, the loan deal being blocked, whether that was at United asking for a ridiculous amount for a loan fee or, or, or broken promises. I just remember him, a player, probably people were used to poke a little bit of uh, fun at on, on, on social media. And then he kind of went to West Ham and just he had that spell between February and April where everything he touched turned to goals, stroke mm. assists. He was absolutely brilliant for that two, three month spell nine Premier League goals and and four assists and we're thinking oh great we this is the you know Lingard flourishing now he's, he's going to kick on now and he's just been 
he's just been dragging his heels just a little bit. And I, I you know, clearly I don't know what's what's gone on there, but I just I just feel a little bit sorry for him. And hopefully he can he can get some football between now and the end of the season and sort his career out. Yeah, he's a fun player, Jesse Lingard. When things are going well for him, he's, he's someone I enjoy watching because he makes football fun. And, and that's what football should be, really. Now, George, if the Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid, Barcelona, all the big jobs were to come up tomorrow, I'm pretty sure... <laughs> oh, there's only one man for oh, it. There's you'd, only you'd, one man. You'd be, you'd be here saying, why don't they give it Chris Wilder? Just, he is your absolute favourite manager. You've given him so much love on this podcast feed in the past. What's he changed since he's rocked up at Middlesbrough? Because they're going reasonably well, aren't they? Yeah, I don't think he'd take the job at the moment, would he, at uh, PSG or Barca, the job he's doing up on, on Teesside. No. Um, yeah, he's he's a manager, as as I've said on here before, who's got a track record of improving every team that he's managed from Halifax to Oxford to Northampton to Sheffield United and now to, to Middlesbrough. Um, and that is all you can really want in a manager. Uh, he's come in at Borough and immediately has changed the playing style. You know, under, under Warnock, I think Warnock often gets... A bit of a bad reputation about his style of football. It's never quite as attritional as, as people make out. But certainly under Wilder, they're now looking to get the ball down and dominate possession. They're looking to be a bit more tactically innovative. Uh, it's not quite as the you know the overlapping centre backs aren't quite as um, as obvious as it was at Sheffield United. But certainly there is a, a more fluid fluidity in their movement. Um, he's improved the fortunes of the club very quickly, and they've gone from being in a position where. Neil Warnock was was sacked to now on the brink of a playoff place at the very least and they'll be hoping they can muscle their way into the automatic uh, contention as well. The the only issue I've had with um with Chris Wilder in his whole managerial career is that he has a massive issue with having a a trigger finger when it comes to um to the January transfer window where he just can't help himself. But and initially it looked, it looked like it was going to be the same again where they already had a host of attacking options. Aaron Connolly turned up, uh, Florian Balogun then, then was signed. I was thinking, oh, here we go again, he's going to do it. But he stopped at that and, and it's two classy additions, two players who you know we, we can be pretty confident will have Premier League futures, whether for their parent club or not. Um, and he's just got them, he's got the whole, you know, it, it's been very quick to see how, how the Middlesbrough fans have taken to him and they, you know, I kind of tongue-in-cheek tweeted uh, a few weeks ago that Everton's ideal manager was managing Middlesbrough and I had um, some interesting messages from Borough fans telling me what they would pay me to stop tweeting effectively you know that is the the way it is now with them and I'm pretty sure Borough fans will come into this knowing that under Wilder they play at a certain level consistently where they they'll feel they can cause Manchester United problems and with, with nothing to lose this, this does feel like an incredibly awkward game for Ralph Ranić, especially given how long it's been since United have won a trophy and how much United fans would be desperate to to get to Wembley and get to the final of this competition and have a chance of, of getting some more silverware. Yeah, I remember Chris Wilder upsetting Manchester United last season, I think, in the, in the Premier League at Old Trafford mm. as well. So he's got previous. Now, Steve, I don't know how to do this as a Villa fan, but it's been a while since Manchester United have won a trophy. <laughs> <laughs> not as long, not as, long as yeah. Villa before, yeah. before you say anything, yeah. but... Um, it's it's a bit of a it's not a problem. I think it's 2017 since they won the AFL Cup and, and the Europa League. That's too long for a club of Manchester United stature. They should really be going for the FA Cup, but you kind of get the impression that it isn't going to be a priority because everything is geared towards finishing in the top four. Are they one of the favourites for the FA Cup? Yeah, well, it's not in '68. Jeff Astor since the Albion, uh, Dan. So I'll move on very quickly. Yeah, they yeah, are. We don't like to dwell on anything. <laughs> no, uh, ten to one they are to actually win the FA Cup. And really, and yeah, and, and, and growing up as a kid, it, it 
I just love those those finals. The first FA Cup final I can remember is 79 when it was uh, Arsenal-Manchester United when it was 3-2. I absolutely love that game. They won it three times in the 80s with a couple of replays because you get. I used to love those replays in midweek after school and they won it three times in the 90s. So you've kind of grown up seeing Manchester United win the FA Cup, you know, and it's been, what, once in the last... 20 years, maybe close to, to 20 years that they've, they've actually won it. So I think you're right in saying top four is the priority. They're 13 to eight to finish uh, in the top four, down 18 to one to win the Champions League, although they are favourites to get past Atleti as well. I just think Ragnick's been slightly lucky with this. He's been given a, a soft hand, really, with the, with the fixtures that they've had. And in the games where they've been under pressure, I think David De Gea has been actually quite good as well. So he's probably helped him out a little bit. Uh, De Gea is third best in the goals prevented charts. So, um, yeah, maybe it could be another year for Manchester United in the FA Cup. Yeah, there's this thing, whenever Manchester United seem to be bad, David De Gea seems to be good. And then when you think they should be good, David De Gea becomes bad. It's really, really weird. George, what's your tip for this game? Yeah, as I mentioned, I think Borough will cause United some problems here. Um whether or not I want to back Borough eight to one, I'm not entirely sure. But I had a look at the the goal scorer markets because I think no matter how this goes, um, the way the Borough play, the way they'll set up, and you know the the issues, the quite glaring issues of Manchester United's defence means I'm sure they're going to get opportunities to score. And looking at the list of goal scorers, um, you know you have a fair few United players before even the first uh, name on the list, which is Andras Spora, who probably is. Borough's biggest goal threat. But then you've got Balogun, Coburn, Connolly, Watmore, all shorter prices, and Isaiah Jones. And he's the one, as quickly, where if if you're watching this for the first time, having never seen Borough, watch out for him. He is a, a brilliant attacking right wing back who they signed from Tooting and Mitchum a couple of years ago in non-league, who I don't think anybody anticipated was going to have the kind of season he's having. Um, and I'm sure whoever plays at left back for for United, whether it's whether it's Shaw, who, you know, no pun intended there a second ago, um, or Tellers, I'm pretty sure he's going to give them a, a difficult time. So the tip is Matt Crooks, who is a um, centre midfielder who's about six foot four, who's one of the quickest players, deceptively so, in the championship, and is one of the biggest goal threats for, for Middlesbrough, both in open play and from set pieces as well. Uh, he's seven to one to score any time. And if Barab cause um, United as many problems as I think they might, uh, I have a feeling he will be getting on the end of some some crosses into the box and will have chances to score. So that's 7-1. Crooks to score any time the way I'm playing it. I love a tall goal scoring central midfielder. That's what I'm mm, all he's about. superb. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Game two is Kidderminster v West Ham, Saturday lunchtime. Now, George, West Ham fans a little bit upset with the January transfer window. Do you think it's a lack of ambition, or do you actually think there's not the right player out there? That's the right thing for them to do. They've got a good squad harmony going on at the moment. They've got a good thing going at West Ham. It could actually be a sensible thing, not getting anyone in for the sake of it. You've, you've taken my answer there, Dan. I mean, that's exactly there what I go. think. It's, it's um, I don't know, it's something about how the, the January transfer window has almost been like, you know, it's it, it creates this mentality within football fans where almost 
getting a new player in, any player, is something to celebrate. And I, I just don't really understand it. The way that the most successful clubs and their recruitment is to have an idea of who you want and how much you think they're worth. And if you can get them for that, then you get them for that. If you don't, you don't just bring bodies in for the sake of it. This West Ham squad finished sixth last season. It's, they've had a very good start to this campaign. Um, the you know Jared Bowen himself was a product of of the smart recruitment we've seen from West Ham, and it's not just him. You know that the recruitment has been very good over the last eighteen months or, or, or two years. So I can I can see why their fans would think this was an opportunity to kick on and build upon the last eighteen months or so, and I can also see why they may think that. A failure to strengthen means that Rice and Bowen may move on anyway. Well, unless Rice and West Ham are willing to match the wages of the very top teams in Europe, then I'm pretty sure, especially with Rice, his departure is is going to be inevitable. And in a similar way to Grealish and Villa, it feels like Rice's presence at West Ham has probably gone on for about a year longer than we we anticipated anyway. And that is because of the the good work that they're doing under David Moyes and I assume his his happiness to be playing under him and the team that they've got. So I can understand why West Ham fans are frustrated not having strengthened, but it's very hard to get value in January. Um, and yeah, I, I'm i personally in the camp where if, if there's no deal to be done, don't deal. Um, but that it seems to be, I seem to be in the minority here where most fans of their football clubs just want any anyone in the door for, just to have something to cheer about come uh, come the end of Jan. Thank you very much, George. Every time I start to forget about Jack Grealish, someone will bring it up to always, me and remind me that it happened. Mind. It's never, never going <laughs> that. Now, Steve, we love a cup set on this show, yeah. don't we? Kitty beat Reading last time out. Where would this rank in the list of FA Cup shocks were it to happen? Yeah, I think I think you might be surprised by the price that Kidderminster went off against Reading. If you're thinking, oh, there must have been at least 10 to 1 to win that. Not at all. They were like thirteen to five. They were shorter than three mm. to one to be to beat the Royals. They went to twenty-five to one in play when they were one down. That was the actual biggest one. And I'm thinking of the the, the third round. Morecambe actually went off at forties. Um, Kidderminster aren't anywhere near that price, Dan. They'll be around the the fourteen to uh, to one mark to actually to to win this game. You know, Bore and Wood are around the same price to to beat Bournemouth. And I'm thinking of previous shocks when when Bradford were 28 to 1 to beat Chelsea at, at Stamford Bridge and Cambridge were 14 to 1 when they beat Newcastle in the last round as well so it wouldn't be the biggest shock of all time um you know Kiddy I've been to Bagbra many a time and there's a bit of history with these two sides who have met previously good pies, in the, aren't in, what are you trying to say George was that a bit of a I thought, I thought I think they're famous <laughs> no. aren't they no okay no. <laughs> the, the Agra pies are famous I thought St- Steve doesn't know about the pies George he was no. in corporate no, no exactly <laughs> no. I know about the car- I know about the carpets at, at Kidderminster of course <laughs> Kidderminster favourite for carpets but in 1994 they beat Birmingham City in the third round and then went on um, of course they were owned by uh, Sullivan Brady etc back then of course who, who they'll be meeting this time around and, in, and the next round they beat Preston who were managed by David Moore and they, they beat them in, the, in in that round as well. Lovely so, research, Dave. Yeah, so well, it's it's, a, it's I say local. It's just down the M5, as in past the Albion, heading towards Cheltenham races. But it's I always like to see them do well. I've had I've had a, a few friends that have played um, for them quite a few times, so it, it's good to see them doing well. They're doing good defensively as well. And uh, Russ Penn seems to be a, a great guy. They're the lowest ranked side in the competition, and I wish them well. Yeah, what's your tip then, Dave? Because they've kept, I think they've kept four clean sheets in the last four games. I do expect West Ham to win by not by a cricket score. So maybe West Ham to win an under two and a half goal. So one nil, two nil to West Ham. 
we'll step away from the FA Cup for the moment and look at the Premier League. One game this weekend, and it's Burnley v Watford at 6pm. Huge, huge, huge game, Steve. Which of the two has had the best transfer window, Burnley or Watford? Oh, I suppose yeah, Burnley would have would have liked more in, um, I presume, especially when Chris Wood went as well. But I thought the signing of Veghorst certainly caught my eye for half the money. I, th- I think he could be a, a better player than uh, than Chris Wood. Clearly, he hasn't got any Premier League experience. We're only four to one about him getting ten or more goals. Of course, Burnley have got a hell of a lot more games to uh, play, haven't they, as well? So I'm really interested to see how uh, Veghorst uh, gets on and say, we are quite short about him scoring ten or more. Ten? Four, yeah, in in the they've only played eighteen I games, I, haven't I they? Say, they've got a few games left to play, Burnley. <laughs> yeah, they are playing, um, uh, you know, massively. They are playing catch up. But I, I I like what Burnley did in their last game against Arsenal. You know, the fact that the, the Arsenal had seventy four percent possession, and the fact that me and, and and Tarkovsky were kind of back to the best. Nick Pope also as well. So, um, yeah, I suppose I suppose you know uh, Sean Dyche will be happy with what he's seen um, in that game at uh, at the Emirates. Ten would be one in two. Bang on. Can't say that, surely not. That would be sensational form one in two. Yeah, I suppose a thirteen to eight. I think we might be thirteen to eight, five or less. Of course, Burnley. Burnley are such a free-scoring, entertaining side, <laughs> aren't they? That they they yeah. score bucket loads. Yeah, I think I'd be more inclined to go with the five or under. To be yeah. perfectly honest. Yeah, well, that's always and, favourite. Yeah. I mean, George, I don't know whether you know this. Steve and I did a show on Monday for, for Bet Three Six Five, and I said in that show, in the moment, and I stand by actually. I think Roy Hodgson will keep Watford up. I think Watford will stay up. Would you go along with that? No. No. <laughs> Tell me long why pause. I'm wrong. Long pause. It was I, a long I pause. mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I had a. I saw quite an interesting graph the other day. I mean, it was incredibly nerdy, Dan. So I'm sure you weren't looking at it, but it was. It was. A palace is rolling XG difference over the course of. I definitely of Roy wasn't Hodgson's, looking at that. Over the course of Roy Hodgson's. Um, rain and the way it works is that you can see the, the two lines the xg4 and the xg against and the gap in between if it's blue it means that they're they're on top of it if it's red that means that they're going through spells where they're behind and the first chunk like the first 10 games was a big blue area which showed that he came in and things were very good and then as his rain went on it went smaller and smaller and then just big chunks of red for the rest of it showing that consistently in matches Palace were coming off second best in the in the XG battle now not everybody puts too much credence in that I'm somebody that does and what does that tell you well I have I'm pretty confident that Roy Hodgson will make um, Watford a better defensive unit and I think he's come in at, at a time where he's probably been able to to do a bit of that and that is massive when you're coming into this and we think back to the um we think back to the Norwich game where despite having all of the ball, they were they were so poor in terms of knowing what to do with it and, and the way that they were able to, to be carved open by a team in Norwich who, who can't really score against any other team in the league. And, and, and there may be a reaction here and, and maybe we will see Roy improving them, but it's got to be quite confusing. You know, this is a, a, Watford, a Watford side who have gone through three managers now this season. The, the Cisco, Ranieri and now Hodgson all have completely different methods of, of playing. You know, you had Ranieri who came in and immediately started drilling them in, in this high-pressing style, um, which initially looked to have some effect and then quickly dropped away as, as the players kind of dropped off in terms of their intensity. Uh, the recruitment was done at the beginning of January when when uh, Ranieri was still the manager. So we don't know if they've been recruited f- to play that style of football or whether or not um, it's just a case of recruiting 
the players that they think are going to improve the squad, uh, which in my mind is is wrong. You should always recruit in order to play a certain way uh, in the image of, of, of the style of the manager. Um, and then you come down to the, the teams around them. Now, Burnley, clearly in the table, um, have... Uh, it's hard to know where to put them in the league table given all of their games in hand. It's important to point out that Burn- the, the vast majority of Burnley's games they've got left are at home. And we know that they are a team who are a much better home side than an away side. You then add to that uh, Newcastle's transfer business, which has clearly been, you know, whatever you think of it, bringing in the players of the calibre that they have means they're an entirely different um, force to be reckoned with for the second half of the season. Uh, Norwich... Uh, you know, are still eminently likely to go down, but you're you're quickly running out of survival spots in my head, um, and and I'm not just not convinced they are good enough to to do so. If I was given the charity bet now that I've completely wasted, I, that's, <laughs> what, that's what that's what I'd go for. And that would be absolutely what I would choose. Now, Nick Miller and Andy Jones have written a piece for the Athletic this week around Burnley and whether their games in hand are a gift or a curse. So if you haven't read that yet, then go back and check that one out. George, how do you see this game playing out? As I said, I think Hodgson's, um, he would have been concentrating on the defensive side of things here. Burnley aren't the side that can score lots of goals anyway. Often when there's so much at stake, it can it can lead to a pretty drab game. So I'm going for under one and a half goals at 12 to five. Um, so you've got nil, nil and one nil either side. I think it's going to be cagey. I can't see there being a massive amount in it. Two managers who are pretty good at, at getting teams set up to frustrate, or the, albeit maybe not the most prolific. Game four, Spurs v Brighton, eight o'clock kickoff on Saturday evening. Really difficult, Steve, to gauge Spurs' transfer window because it kind of feels like they got their third choice winger because they really wanted Triora. They yeah. really wanted Diaz. Diaz. And they've ended up with Kulazewski, who I actually think is the better signing of the three for them. He's a really good player. He was really good for Juve last year. He's on loan for 18 months. They've also got Ben Tukur in for 17 million. A sporting director, Paratici, has raided his old club Juve. What do you make of them and where do you think this puts them in the race for the top four? Yeah, I'm interested to see how Kulosevsky does. Apologies on my pronunciation there. Well, but he, right. yeah, he only, you know, look at his data earlier, only started five matches this season under Allegri. Clearly, he's been there under previous managers and, you know, sometimes a manager just, just doesn't fancy a yeah. player quite simply. Got a lot of goals under Perla last season. Yeah, well, I, I was I was looking that he's, he scored 10 league goals, got eight assists for Palmer, uh, where he, he played in a, a number of positions, which is going to be a good thing. You know, these looking a bit further in, into the data, and a number of key passes was very high up as well. I can certainly dribble, who's very high up in, in, in those charts as well. I think he prefers to play behind a striker. He's quite young as well, isn't he? 21, so there's plenty of scope for, uh, for him to improve Throw. Again, you know, the director of football knows him well, clearly knows what he's about as well. And I think from a bit of a doom and gloom from missing out on on, 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 on players, especially Diaz, you know, to for, you know to get two players through the door like that, I think w- would have heartened Spurs fans. And I think they're around 13 to 8 still to, to finish in the top four, which is a shorter price than their arch rivals Arsenal, who are 5 to 2. So we think they've got an equal chance with Manchester United, who are both at 13 to 8, with Arsenal at 5 to 2 and, uh, and West Ham at 7 to 1. So, and I'm still not totally convinced on Manchester United either. So, yeah, I mean, of course, Conte will know, will know that, about the players as well, and, and they're very keen to join the football club and play under him. So maybe it could be all right. I'm, I'm with you. I think the problem is, is when you buy two players on deadline day, who you've not particularly been linked with until the end of the window and you know yeah, you've panic. missed out on players, I think it comes across like a panic and it, it might well not be those players might have only come up at the end of the window because of Juventus. So it's difficult, but yeah, 
They won't finish the top four because they're the team that I've backed to do it. So we know the Bardell <laughs> will absolutely kill them. I, I was Southampton doing this. They're, they're flying, yeah, aren't they? Really, the Saints. I, I honestly revitalised <laughs> Southampton season. And George Brighton got £13 million for Dan Byrne, former EFL player, of course, Dan Byrne. You thought they might cash in on Basuma this month. He's remained at Brighton. What did you make of that transfer deal? Well, I think cashing in on on Dan Byrne. Um, Graham Potter himself said in the in the pre match press conference for this game that it was a win win for all parties, um, which is telling. Uh, I think it was it was pretty clear that Premier League clubs were unwilling to do much business with uh, Newcastle this window. I think part of that is because there's clearly um, some animosity towards the the takeover, um, and I think it is probably in the interests of most Premier League stakeholders that Newcastle are relegated this season. But Tony Bloom is a man who knows value and he is probably a man who's going to look to cash in when there is a club who are looking to overspend on a Newcastle fan, which is what Dan Byrne is. So for them to get, what is it, 13 million quid for a a player who's been a good servant for them, who's played a lot of his football at left back. They don't need a left back anymore because they've got Cucurella, um, who's played 12 games this season at left centre back when they've got two players in Duncan Webster, who are their, their first choice two centre backs. Uh, it does leave them short of, of options, um, which is not something we normally say about Brighton and, and centre backs because they've got so many. But having sold Ben White in the summer um, and they've got Ostergaards out on loan at, at Genoa for the second half of the season, Matt Clark's at West Brom. Um, Jan Paul Van Hecker is at, is at Blackburn, who's having an unbelievable season there. I mean, he's someone who could definitely step up and be a big, big um, part of their team next season. So, short term, it leaves them short, but. It, we know that the way that Brighton work is they're all about value. They're all about the long-term sustainability of the club and, and it's a cracking piece of business for them and it probably enables them to to be able to keep hold of Basuma until at least the summer. So, you know, he Tony Bloom and his and his team are, are very, very sharp operators and they know what they're doing and I think they've they've done well in, in January. This is, I know it's completely irrelevant to the game that we're previewing, but this is one this is another one of the reasons why I think Watford will stay up. I don't think Dan Byrne will suit Newcastle at all. I think in a team like Brighton, Steve, who knew knew the way they were playing, very defined what they're trying to do, isn't it, at, at Brighton? I've seen Dan Byrne look very, very shaky in a back four. I presume Newcastle will be playing a back four. He's got another new player next to him in, in Matt Target who will be playing left back. Could be a bit of a lack of pace down that side. I actually think, I don't, I don't think this signing works. Yeah, I mean, there's a bit of a rom- you know, romance to it as well, like George said. You know, I think it's a, you know, all parties will be happy. I have to say I did... You know, raise a, a one eyebrow about of the fee. Clearly, maybe I'm just bitter because he's never done it for me when I've backed him numerous times from a set play, despite <laughs> his height, and he never totally went through it. I, I thought he could be a bit brave is probably a, a bit of a uh, not the right word, but I thought he could run through a brick wall a bit more for my 50p each way. Yeah, what are Brighton's odds for the FA Cup, Steve? Because they're not going to go down. They're probably not going to get Europe. Go for it. Yeah, 33 to 1 they are to win the FA Cup and they've never won the FA Cup. Again, I'm going to go back to the 80s. Yes, when I was young-ish. 83, <laughs> they were they were losing finalists in 83. I think Jimmy Jimmy Melia, Jimmy Melia was a, might be the manager then. I think he was a bit like yourself, Dan, in that outfit you turn up on in Monday, very sharply dressed. <laughs> um, um, yeah, there was a famous quote from there. It was, a, I think it was a, a two-all draw against Manchester United and there was a quote that Smith must score, but unfortunately he didn't and then Manchester United won the replay like you say Dan mid-table 100 to 1 to be relegated players returning back from injury and the African Cup of Nations as well this feels like a good time to, to get with Brighton at a big old price This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online 
Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Your midday game on Sunday is Liverpool v Cardiff and George Luis Diaz has been signed by Liverpool. Also had a deal for someone who I presume you'll be talking about tonight, Fabio Carvalho. That fell through but may well go through in the summer anyway. Diaz was a bit of a surprise but you know Liverpool's recruitment is usually very good and this looks like the long-term replacement for Mane, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, it's a long-term replacement for Mane. You've got uh, Mohamed Salah pushing 30. Not that that makes any difference in terms of his quality, but in terms of long-term future planning, especially given his contract situation. And you've got Roberto Firmino around that age as well. It's kind of getting to the time now where Liverpool have to um, look at their succession planning for the three players who have been so important to their successes over the years. Obviously, Diogo Jota is one of them and, and is doing incredibly well. It's a quite Diaz. a similar signing, isn't it? The Jota one, because he's going to yeah. play. He won't play, but like it's kind of phasing out someone. It feels very similar. Exactly. It I feels mean, like it, Jota's it, phasing out for me now. It's, it's, it's the cleverest way to recruit. You know, you bring in people who are going to... I mean, I think Jota's probably played more than people anticipated him to when he came in because he's been so good. But you, you you don't look to replace a player when they've already gone or when they've already when their performances have started to dip. You bring in players to compete with them, and then as that happens, the, it should be you know that that transition should be seamless. And if the Salah contract situation doesn't work out, well, okay, here we go. You're you know we've got someone here who's operated at an incredibly high level already. Um, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I've watched loads of Porto in, in Liga Nosh, but from what I've seen of Diaz, he's someone who has all of the attributes to be perfectly suited to this um, Liverpool style of play. He's someone who can carry the ball very well. His finishing ability is very good. Um, he has this rangy stride that seems to be able to take him away from defenders very easily. Um, his The only thing I would say is he, he looks to me like quite a similar um player in some respects to Fabio Carvalho who, who of course didn't quite get, get did that didn't get over the line on on deadline day uh, no spoilers here but that might I think me and Ali were two of the people only people in the country except for Fulham fans clenching our fists at that because if he had gone we wouldn't have been able to include him in the show um, but it's oh, yeah. um, he's someone who when at the beginning of this season because often when young players get some minutes and you know he came in at the end of the Premier League campaign and scored a goal, the hype can often be pretty big. And I was I was ready to be a Carvalho sceptic. I was all ready to think, you know, this guy isn't all that. He is absolutely phenomenal. Like the, the the FA need to do everything they can to ensure that his, his international future lies with England, where he's played in the youth teams, because this kid can do absolutely everything. It's been a pleasure to have him in the championship this season. He can hurt you in so many different ways. He is a, a, an elite dribbler on the ball. He's very, very good at getting onto the end of loose balls with the space in front of him. He's, his finishing ability in the box is so efficient and ruthless. Um, 
his future is is very bright. So when you consider that Liverpool have got Jota, they've got Diaz now, they've got Gordon, they've got Jones, they've got Elliot, and at one point, at some point in the summer, they'll probably have Carvalho. Uh, that is a scary proposition for the rest of the Premier League in a way that. Um, I don't think we've seen a, a club stack young talent like that in, in advanced areas for a long time. Normally, when you have players like Mane and Salah pushing 30 and you're wondering how long they're going to be operating at level four, you start to get a bit concerned. But the future looks incredibly bright for Liverpool. Yeah, plenty of young players already there coming through as well. So yeah, could be a bright, bright future for Liverpool. It's Cardiff, Steve. Actually mm. watched them. At the weekend, no Premier League. So I did tune into a few AFL games and Cardiff promptly won against Forest, which I didn't really expect. Who scored? I mean, who, who scored the know, first goal? We, we know we know who scored, Steve, because <laughs> we spoke about it the other day. Jordan Hugo, instant impact yeah, for six Cardiff. Minutes. Yeah, six yeah. minutes it took him, yeah. But are they in danger of going down? I kind of got the impression now that they're not. No, not after last night. I think it was a, it was a huge win for them last night. And of course, they've stopped, uh, stopped the rock with two back-to-back victories against Forest, against Barnsley. I thought they'd do okay against uh, Forest in what was in what was a big game. Uh, Ikpiaz who came off the bench last night, uh, muscled a few defenders off the ball and scored very neatly. And he, he he really enjoyed celebrating with the fans there in 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 South Yorkshire in the away end. Of course, there was a little bit of uh, fisticuffs afterwards in the tunnel because the tunnel's right by the away end, as I'm sure you know at Barnsley there as I go down. And so there's plenty of that on social media this morning. A, a tunnel dust up uh, involved in involving the staff more than the players, I think, but. It looks like a, a three from four at the bottom and, and Cardiff do have to play Peterborough at home next as well. So, no, I think I think Cardiff and Morrison will be OK this season. George, what's your prediction for the game? Yeah, it's very hard for me to see anything but a, a, a cosy Liverpool win here. Um, you know, Cardiff have had a, an important week in their survival bid, um, but Liverpool just have too many options. And I think given the strength of their bench and possibly we'll see Diaz come off the bench here, but hopefully we'll see Harvey Elliott's return from injury as well. I can't see them letting up. So they're a very short price to win the game, but an even money to win both halves, uh, I think, appeals here where they should be able to get their dominance to count um, early in the, in the first half. And then those players who come on um, should be able to impact the second half rather than looking to coast to victory game six forest v leicester midlands derby 4 p.m on sunday i'm calling it i'm doing it steve first time cup on sets. this podcast cup, cup sets, sets. <laughs> sets coming forest obviously cup set last time out against arsenal in, in the last round i fancy them to beat leicester at home yeah, it's a big game this. Big rivals haven't played each other for a long time, 8 years in fact, and I think Leicester were winning the the, the championship title with 102 points. Um the last time they played, and of course they went on to win the Premier League a couple of years later. Uh Riyad Mahrez got the a late equaliser in the game between those two. He's gone on to decent things with with Chris he- uh, Chris Wood kicking his heels on the bench. Um, yeah, so I think these two are going to... I think the fans are massively up for it. I was massively impressed uh, with Forrest in the game against Arsenal. Forrest were a, were a big price to win that day at, uh, at 11-2. to two. Of course, they're nowhere near that price this time in a game against a Leicester side who seem to be having a few players back from injury. So um, it currently favours Leicester at even money, but that's not the type of price that will be tempting me. George, speak to me about Spence and Brennan Johnson. They both stayed in January. Big boost for Forest going into the second half of the season because they have got a chance at promotion. How long have you got? Um, I mean, Judd Spence terrorised Arsenal in the last round. Um, it's a he's a, an interesting story where he's on loan from a, a fellow Championship side yeah, in, it's really in, in Middlesbrough. But as I mentioned, Middlesbrough's right back uh, uh, Isaiah Jones isn't too bad himself. Um, so when it came to January, it sounds like 
Spence made his um, desire to stay at Forest very clear to Borough, who are, who are happy to let him stay there, because I'd be pretty amazed if Jed Spence ever pulls on a Middlesbrough shirt again. He'll be sold to the Premier League in the summer for a big fee uh, off the back of this loan, which is a win for all parties, except for Forest, if it's not them who buy him, because he's every bit the modern day fullback. He's defensively possibly a bit suspect but he's got the pace to, to drift past people he's so good at standing a player up and then beating them on the outside and getting balls into the box um, if you if you do watch a, shirt, a certain show tonight you'll see that he's, his delivery is often very good and the reason he's only got one assist so far this season is because just poor finishing from those he's put chances on a plate for um, so he is exciting and then Brennan Johnson who is probably along with Fabio Carvalho, the, the most exciting. You know, it, when we talk about the likes of Bellingham and, and all these guys, I think Johnson is the one, along with Carvalho, whose future is is right at the very top of the game. Um, he has been a revelation since his 11-goal loan spell last season at, uh, at Lincoln. Um, Forest fans absolutely love him. It helps that he scored home and away against Derby this season, but he's just got absolute gears to go through on the ball his dribbling his direct running scores goals as well got the quality to to find a player in the final third um it's yeah i in terms of upsets when you've got two players yes they're a championship side but when you've got two players in brennan johnson and, and jed spence who if they were leicester players would be crucial players for leicester um it makes it pretty interesting so i mean i'm i'm not going to disagree with you and especially because leicester at the moment have We've got serious issues in terms of holding on to leads, um, which which feels like something that is going to kind of haunt them this season. Yeah, Keenan Davis on fire for Forest mm. as well. I mean, we don't need to watch your show tonight because we've covered it all in this show, sponsored by Bet Three Six Five. So there'll be absolutely no need to tune into your, to your show tonight. Steve, you're watch back. The in, you're back game. in. You're back in favour, yeah. kid. You're back in favour. Just don't wear that out for it again. Yeah, I think no. it's going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be. A tight affair, as I said, these these sides haven't played each other for a very long time and I can see it being a, a bit of a tense affair as well. I'm going to go under two and a half goals around the four to five mark. Game seven, oh, I'm going to have to put another invoice through here, I think. Bournemouth <laughs> against Bournemouth Wood, 6.30pm <laughs> on Sunday. Now, George, Bournemouth absolutely taking the mick in January. I spoke to Tommy Elphick at Message in the other day, saying, are you just signing everyone that ever existed? <laughs> mad. Five signings announced in under nine hours on transfer deadline day. Yeah, I'm a bit conflicted about their business because on the one hand, I, I basically like all the players that they brought in. Um, but on the other, I, I don't really understand how it's all going to work. Bringing uh, Todd Cantwell back to the championship seems like a massive coup uh, in my mind. Um, I, I'm not really sure how that's happened. Um, I kind of mentioned earlier teams being unwilling to to deal with, with Newcastle. I think that might have been the case here with, with Norwich just absolutely adamant that they weren't going to sell a player to a, a relegation rival. Uh, so Ricky Dembele deserves his chance at this level. He's a great player. Um, and then Freddie Woodman, I haven't been a fan of Mark Travers, Bournemouth's keeper previously, but he's had he's had a decent last couple of months of the season. It seems pretty harsh that he now might be usurped by Woodman. Um, Kiefer Moore is a very good championship striker. Is he a Premier League striker? I'm not entirely sure. Is he better than Dominic Solanke? I don't know. Um, it's, you know. It's a case of, do, do they need these players? Does it fit into the way they're going to play? You know, it can't hurt to have these extra talents. It can't be necessarily a bad thing. But Bournemouth's form has started to, the performances at least, have started to slide in the last couple of weeks. And it kind of feels like they've suddenly gone, hold on, West Brom are struggling here. This is a massive opportunity to come second with with Blackburn and and QPR, the the major rivals. Let's go and spend. If they've spent wisely or not, we will see. But I'd be surprised if they have a a high hit rate in terms of those, those transfers they brought in. Because purely because you can only have eleven players on a pitch at a time. 
Yeah. There's a great piece on Todd Cantwell up on The Athletic at the moment, just going through the last 12 months or so he's, he's had at Norwich, and he explains an awful lot about how he's ended up at Bournemouth, because I've got to admit, I was shocked to see him drop down to the Championship, because I've always thought he was a really good player, but there's been a few problems, so it's well worth checking that piece out on the site. Steve, what's Scott Parker added to Bournemouth since he took over? Well, a load of players listening players, to George. Yeah, yeah it's uh, <laughs> yeah, just as a just as a final bit to George there, which I I, I totally agree with there. I'd just be interested to see the how the dressing room uh, 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 you know are going to take to these new players coming in. I know Scott Parker will probably argue. You know, I've, I've I've trusted you lads. You know, you started well for me at the start of the season. You we got a record. You know, so I think Scott Parker probably got the Bournemouth's best ever start to a a season with the way that they started. And let's not forget around October, end of October, start of November, they were 11 to 8 to win the championship. You know, they were in such good form. And then all of a sudden you get five players in on the last day and the, and, and the dressing room, and the egos in there and some players that normally play. I presume he's brought all five in. They are expected to play. And if they don't hit the ground running, the dressing room, you know, how, how is all the dressing room going to react? So that's the part that I'm really interested in. I don't know about any of the guys' egos or anything like that. But one thing that I am pleased off of going off at a tangent here is that Rothwell didn't leave from Blackburn. He's, he's had a great season so far. So I'm pleased to see him stay at Rovers and hopefully they can push on towards the, the Premier League, which would be an amazing achievement by uh, by Tony Mowbray and Mark Venus and, and, and co up there. But um, just looking at the possession, possession-wise, they seem to be the same as, as last season. So, of course, you know, Scott Parker's done okay. He's, he's a manager that, you know, the people seem to like and, and, and respect. And they have had a sticky spell at the moment. So I just want to see how they react to it. Boreham would have reached the fourth round for the first time in their history. What's the tip here, George? Have they got any chance? Because you'd imagine Bournemouth actually might integrate some of those new players and they might actually rotate a bit as well. So the potential cup set, I would say. Yeah, I think they've got a massive chance. Um, there are sides, you know, the, the National League deserve a lot of credit. I, I don't think there's a great deal between the top end of the National League and, and the top end of League Two. And I'm not necessarily sure that's factored into the price. Um, Bournemouth... When we last saw them, they went to the worst team in the championship in Barnsley and they huffed and they puffed their way to a 1-0 win only thanks to a moment of absolute madness from the Barnsley keeper. That They're not playing well at the moment and this, I think, could be quite a, a nervy affair. And then you factor in the, fa- the fact that for Scott Parker, the priority is not the FA Cup at all, You know, except for the embarrassment of going out to a non-league side. If you were offered him right now, abandon the game, Bourne would go through. I think he'd probably take it because there is one clear priority this season and that is finishing second behind Fulham and going up to the Premier League so mm. I think this is a potential cup set as you call it and I'm happy to up to, to back Boreham Wood or draw at 11 to 4 um, so either either going to extra time and penalties or, or Boreham Wood winning the game at, at, a, at a fairly decent price because um, yeah I think this could be pretty tetchy and I, and I wouldn't surprise me at all if there's a fair bit of money for Boreham Wood between now and um, yeah. and the and kickoff. Yeah Bournemouth used to have all kind of trouble in the cup under Eddie Howe as well. They got knocked out by all kinds of teams, so it's probably worth bearing that in mind as well. Just before we go, there's just enough time for me to remind you that you can subscribe to The Athletic today and gain full access to all the brilliant articles as well as ad-free podcasts for just £3.33 a month for an entire year. To do that, visit theathletic.com slash footballpod. That's theathletic.com slash footballpod. Thank you to Steve and thank you to George. Don't forget to check out his show on Sky tonight, please. And of course, thanks for listening as well. Remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss a show. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. Have a great weekend and enjoy all the football. The Athletic.